0: And welcome to the Earthborn Games podcast. I am your host, as always, Andrew Navarro. <laughs> uh, and joining me this week is uh the staff of Earthborn Games, Andrew Fisher. <laughs> Hi, Andrew. Hello.
1: Hi. I thought you were going to read the script verbatim and just say you were Anders Carlson.
0: <laughs> I con- I considered it. Uh, <laughs> Anders, uh Anders is on a mission uh, this week uh, and last week as well, which is why we did not have his show. But he should be back next episode and back up to full strength. Um, Evan is under the weather, so we have a Andrews-only episode. Yep, all week. Andrews. All Andrews, only Andrews. Um, we have a lot of listener questions. A lot of listener questions to get to.
1: Yeah, and some listener non-questions, some listener... Comments and fun scientific facts. Yes.
0: And I think we can start with one of those uh, right now, uh, which I thought was really great. Oh, yeah, go ahead.
1: Before we start, I wanted to give a special shout out to one of our other listeners. Uh, It made me chuckle. Uh, Our featured art for last week's podcast was uh, a character named The Fundamentalist. uh, And his art's pretty cool and it's based on a pretty wild sketch from Joe. And he's got this like backpack with this little like garden in it with like cacti and stuff growing in it. And uh, Dexter uh, on our discord fan discord uh, named his backpack, the CAC pack uh, for the cacti <laughs> that we're growing out of it, which I, I appreciated like and is now the name I will always refer to the fundamentalist backpack by.
0: Yeah, that's pretty good. I like that cack pack. I think I was, I was looking at the spelling of Cac pack, which is C-A-C-K is how it was spelled. And I think C-A-C-T cact pack, yeah,
1: cack, pack cack, is probably pack. more appropriate. Yeah. Yeah.
0: yeah. <laughs> but I love, I love that. All right. So, uh, our first, well, I guess it's not, not necessarily a question, but a, a fun, fun thing that someone on the discord shared Haley and discord chimed in. And Haley says, as the resident atmospheric scientist, question three was one for me, uh, which was, I think, uh, talking about air quality.
1: And yeah, I was asking about, like, the methane in the atmosphere and if it would be safe, right?
0: Well, I think it was asking, like, in the arcologies, do they use recycled air? Oh, or okay. how do they deal with it? And I was saying, ah, they're, they're probably fine. We don't have to worry about methane. Um, so, uh this is what Haley had to say, uh, Judd, I wanted to weigh in just a little bit more on your question and Andrew's response. In general, the lowest layer of our atmosphere that we occupy, the troposphere is very well mixed due to weather. Most places with poor enough air quality that you might not want to breathe the air are directly adjacent to sources of pollution, yep, like cold fire, power plants, cars. Poor air quality is exacerbated in places with less weather, like Southern California, and places where temperature inversions are common. Uh, a temperature inversion, I was about to ask, what's a temperature inversion? And here it comes. A temperature inversion is where air gets warmer as opposed to colder with height. They occur easily in valleys like the Rockies and California again. I think in the earthborne setting, they've probably stopped emitting pollutants by the time arcologies come around, but if not... All they need to do is build arcologies away from pollutant sources and less importantly away from these geographical features yes piece of cake uh so i briefly mentioned uh methane poisoning and how it was very likely it wouldn't be a problem and i said i briefly tried to look up some numbers on methane poisoning out of curiosity looks like the concentration at which people start to worry about methane is anywhere between one thousand to ten thousand parts per million Right now, global average methane is less than two parts per million. Even under worst-case worst, worst case projections, the IPCC, what's the IPCC?
1: I don't know. I didn't even know what uh, PPM was until it, it, you threw out parts per million. So.
0: <laughs> Educated man. Um, myself. I wasn't being, I wasn't trying to. Uh, Intergovernmental
1: 30. panel on climate change is the IPCC.
0: Okay. Uh, well, they don't expect us to get over four parts per million by, uh, the year 2100. So yes, we are definitely in the clear there. Uh, mostly unrelated fun fact is that a lot of harmful surface level air pollution is a result of ozone. Funny how it can be so bad for us here in the troposphere and yet extremely necessary up in
1: the stratosphere. That's great. Right. Yeah. I, I, I just, I take Haley at their word. <laughs> Yeah, I, and I think another, a, a different climate scientist also chimed in and talked to Haley after this comment. So we have multiple climate scientists uh, who are going to be playing the game, which I just yeah. thought was super cool.
0: That's great. That's great. Wait till we get to the <laughs> the expansion that deals with the weather and uh, <laughs> see how many things we get wrong. Yeah,
1: uh, I was going to say... Can we can we hire Haley to consult on our weather expansion?
0: <laughs> yeah, maybe. maybe. Uh, yeah, I think the thing that I was thinking about with the methane is that there's, uh, I've heard that up north somewhere, like trapped in the ice, and this is why they're worried. I thought that one of the biggest concerns about there being glacial melt is the amount of, like, there's this tremendous amount of methane that's, like, trapped beneath the ice, and if that melts, then it'll just, like, flood the atmosphere with Poisonous gas, but maybe they're not worried about that. Maybe everything's fine.
1: We yeah, I mean, at, at the at the parts per million uh, being cited here, it seems like a pretty dramatic difference to me. But uh, I I thought one place I was going to chime in is the the temperature inversion. Bring up the temperature inversion, which I had never heard about until like two weeks prior to this. Mm. I don't know if you remember, you were over at my house, and we were talking about how like. The Twin Cities was just covered in smog. Yeah. And we were like, what is going on? And we looked it up and it was, I believe, a temperature inversion where like we were just kind of stuck in like this pocket of air due to the weather or something. And it was causing just like all of our pollutants to collect around the Twin Cities. And then it like cleared out, uh, you know, the next week. But uh, I had never heard about it. And now I've, you know, it's one of those things where you suddenly hear about it twice in like the same week. <laughs> well, now
0: now we have the term temperature inversion in our vocabulary and I'll use it all the time.
1: Yeah. So thank you, Haley. I, anybody who has fun, the scientific knowledge to add to this podcast, please always chime in. I really appreciate it.
0: Yeah, me too. thats I think that's where I, I, I love science and physics Especially, uh, but I don't like learning about it on my own. I'd much rather have people who understand it, explain it to me Mm -hmm. because I find Mm -hmm. it fascinating because then I can ask, you know, ridiculous questions, Um, (laughs) (laughs) where my imagination goes as they're talking. Super fun. Do you want to take the next one?
1: Oh yes, that's right. We are alternating. Um, all right. So Sean via email, um, asked what is your process approach to game concepting and design like in the earliest phases of a game? I like many tabletop gamers spin up game concepts and mechanics, my mind regularly to varying degrees of completion, whatever that really means. I'd love to hear from you where you start, what inspires you and how you take a single, Oh shit, that would be cool and get it to something that actually resembles a game.
0: I think, uh, This is a great one for for you to answer as someone who's designed several games.
1: Yeah. Well, it's interesting because like I don't have a single consistent process, to be honest. A lot of my professional life... One of the things that makes a professional game designer different from a hobby game designer is that a professional game designer and a professional creative in a lot of fields have to do that creative work on demand and like usually to order, right? Where it's like a hobbyist is kind of just following their dreams and their ideas. Most professionals are making something somewhat to spec. So a lot of the game ideas I have worked on, um, came from a variety of sources, whether that be, um, a game idea that somebody at Fantasy Flight Games when I worked there always wanted to make. Um, Often it comes from the needs of, like, the market when you're at a larger studio like that. You know, uh, what IPs and um, what licenses do we potentially have and are able to publish in? What price points do we need to hit? What do we think the market, like, would appeal to the market most right now? All Mm -hmm. these kind of, like, not like necessarily fun, creative things, but kind of business decisions factor into to learn what games I'm working on, uh, which can sound a little soulless, but I actually find an interesting challenge. Uh, you know, the curse of the blank page is a real thing where you stare at that blank canvas and you're not quite sure what to, where to start. But if you're given a set of restrictions, I find it an interesting puzzle as to how to create something to fit within these specific constraints Mm -hmm. Um, which is you know similar to what i did coming in to help out earthborn with uh some of the early stuff work on rangers already done and kind of um riffing off of that but to answer more to i think the heartier question which is about the more raw creative inspiration um i find for projects that i work on Outside of that, those like professional two spec projects, a lot of my ideas, it's hard to like pinpoint the exact moment they start. I find that usually they're kind of this like tumbleweed in the back of my brain somewhere, this little like somewhere, something in my life germinates an idea and then it just kind of starts collecting more weed you know pieces of the weed or maybe like a snowball building up is a better analogy i'm not sure but it, it kind of slowly builds as different pieces hit it it might lay dormant for a while and then something will inspire me or you know maybe i'll just be having a shower of thought and it will spark that idea and at some point those ideas kind of pop more into the forefront of my mind as like kind of a fully formed concept that I can see. And at that stage, I usually write them down. I used to not, but I found they kind of drift away over time. Mm-hmm. So I am a pretty avid, like, creative journaler. And so I have this little, like, yank tablet thing, and I will just jot down... Usually, I don't even jot down words. I'm a pretty visual person, so I'll just kind of sketch the idea, you know, like whether it be digital game mechanics or a physical board and the dice and like, you know, everything I picture about the game and its mechanical processes, just to kind of remember that idea. And then when I have time to kind of work on them, I'll come back and kind of look through and look through my notes and remember where that idea was at. So that might not be a very satisfying answer in that, like, I don't like specifically set out to have this creative inspiration, but instead it's just kind of stuff that tumbles along.
0: Well, I think you can address it too, in your, like the er early, the early part of your response about it, you know, working to working to order effectively, because you might get an assignment, uh, at a company and you have like the basics of like, oh, it has to be. Uh, you know, we know it needs to be dark heresy second edition, um, go, <laughs> I'm sure you got more direction than that, but <clears throat> I think even when you get those assignments, you still have to take the time to then, uh, toy around with ideas and mechanics, uh, until you find something that actually catches hold. Uh, cause I've seen, you know, lots of designers at work and I've, even when you're given a, you know, make a board game based on this license it needs to be, you know, a competitive game or a cooperative game or whatever, you're giving like your little laundry list of, of these are the things we want. These are the little things we want it to fill. Uh, you still need to go through the process of creating a prototype and getting some mechanics out on paper. Like yeah, at what good- point does, yeah. At what point did you like feel like in that process? Uh, you know, you're we like have that moment, like aha, we'll finally crack this nut instead of just like yeah. staring at that blank page.
1: That, that, that's a good point. I got kind of hung up on you know the the lead into Sean's question here about the earliest phases of the game. That really like what he's actually asking about is the the phase after that. So I I, I didn't quite directly answer the question. So good call. Um, yeah, the next part actually is a lot more regimented. Uh which is to test as early and often as possible is like a very common refrain amongst game designers. Um, I try to, you know, like, especially when you're doing professional work and you, you can't just wait for creativity to strike and you need to uh, kind of like make something happen based around these initial ideas. Um, I'll do a bunch of different brainstorming exercises. So usually I get a favorite idea something pops into my mind right off the bat as we're talking about the concepting. And of course I write that down, but I purposefully don't run with that right away. And I try to take like at least three different stabs at that kind of base concept from very different angles. Mm -hmm. Um, And I try to approach the problem in different ways each time. So one time I might approach it from like a, bottom-up perspective, uh, to, quote Mark, uh, to use a term from Mark Rosewater, designer of Magic, where I'm trying to just make base-level mechanics and build them up to create this system. Another time I might take a, like a top-down approach where I try to think of the theme I'm trying to evoke and just write rules to kind of represent that. Um, another time I might just take a similar game and kind of riff and modify it to bring it in. Um, I just try to take a bunch of different approaches to the same problem. And then mock them up as quickly as possible, and see which ones, uh, what ideas are sticking and what ones aren't. Um, I find that to pursue a single idea too far can lead you down kind of a wrong path and can like lead to slightly more derivative work because sometimes the stuff that immediately pops to your head isn't necessarily going to be the most interesting. Um, to the rapid prototyping thing, uh, that's something that myself and other designers always struggle with it's so hard to feel like when is my game ready to hit the table and you 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 want like all your your vision to be in order before people start playing it but the fact of the matter is when it's early like this you know you're trying out all these different ideas you basically want to find out if you're wrong before you sink way too much work into it (laughs) um so I really recommend. Th- 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 this is kind of an art more than a science. Trying to find all the ways you can quickly prototype games. Um, I have uh, here one second. I'll be.
0: Andrew has stepped away from his desk. He's rummaging. <laughs> Sorry, um, he's back.
1: Yeah, I've, this is only really for the for for uh, the the YouTube viewers here. But I've got this box here. Oh yeah, uh, this is this this is Bears of War. Um, It's a Gears of War box that I drew on for fun. But this box, all it is, is generic game components um, of all different colors. So I've got like wooden pieces in five different colors. I've got wet erase markers in all those same five different colors. I've got boards that I can wet erase on. I've got blank cards and card sleeves that you can wet erase on. And this kit basically allows me to prototype up a board game without printing anything off. I can just go to a table, quickly draw some cards and then like as we're playing it, I can erase things, change things, throw in components. I've got like all the different polyhedral dice you could possibly want. Anyway, this kit I created so that I had this tool that like to get all excuses out of the way and also like, you know, sitting at your computer is just poison cuz you spend all this time fiddling and this way you know there's no computer between you and your ideas it's just like you you trying to create a test as quickly as possible so this thing i i think i've gotten more value out of than any other tool in my toolbox
0: that's cool yeah and i can vouch for that that bears of war box has been around for a very long time <laughs>
1: Yeah, I used to carry prototypes to, like, licensors in it, too.
0: Yeah, you brought that with us to our, when we went to Bethesda to show them Fallout, and I remember that.
1: Yeah, that's right. I, I, was, I remember I was, I was like, is it unprofessional of me to have cartoon bears drawn on the box I'm bringing to the <laughs> yeah. meeting room?
0: Yeah, I think you asked me that. I was like, no, it's fine. <laughs> it was fine. It was super yeah. fun. That was a yeah, fun it trip. was fun. All right. That's a great question. Thank you, Sean. All right. This next one comes from Mark on YouTube. It says, when you are asked to search for the first predator and discard it, well, that was a hard right turn into a rules <laughs> question. When you are asked to search for the first predator and discard it, do you put the cards that you went through back in the same order you draw them from the path deck? Wow. Yeah. We went, we went, uh, straight into, into rules, Earthborne Rangers rules questions. Uh, did you put the cards you went through? Uh, yeah. Right, go ahead, Fisher. You can answer this one.
1: Yeah, I totally can answer this off the top of my head. <laughs> See, one of the challenges when you're making a game, especially right after you, you've just finished making it, is your rules are changing constantly during development. Uh, we have this whole change log that's like carefully tracking all the changes we make. But it means that certain rules worked like three different ways in recent memory. And so sometimes it's hard to like immediately recall. I'm pretty sure you shuffle. I'm going to say that you shuffle the path deck after you're done searching. Yep. Yep. So you return all chosen cards to where you got them and then shuffle any affected decks. So yeah, order doesn't really matter. Do you shuffle everything up?
0: Let's go. I remember the rule. All right, you want the next one?
1: Yeah. Um, all right. So Hudson on YouTube asks: As we move ever closer to delivery, I can't wait. Do you have industry knowledge to give insight into the card making process for games like Earthborn, Netrunner, etc.? Materials, printing, collating—is it manual or automated? Uh, box packing? Question <laughs> mark. <laughs> I imagine. Uh, how is that done? Is the question?
0: Yeah, there's. I think there's some. If you want to look into this, I'm pretty sure that there are some videos online that you can actually see, like cards coming off press. And I know that uh, when the uh, the Game Found campaign for the latest Keyforge set was being done, uh, they did uh, Strange Stars did a uh, a little video that showed machine spitting out a few decks so you can kind of get a basic sense for at least how that game is printed but it'll all it'll all depend on the machine that it's printed on uh, whether it's a like a digital printer or a more traditional printer you know how big it is how big the press forms are which is like the press forms is just like the size of the piece of paper uh, it'll all vary but by and large it's almost entirely automated. At this point, there's the, you know, the, the paper goes through the printer gets spit out. It gets chopped up by these knives that come down on it and chop it all up. And then the, uh, cards all get kind of shuttled together into these rows and then, uh, gathered into their various decks and go down an assembly line. And they'll get either typically they'll get shrink-wrapped by a shrink-wrap machine, um, uh, or they can also get like bound and wrapped. For our game, it's gonna be a, a, a little bit of a mix. So it's gonna be automated up to the point where it's you know, printed and collated. But then once it's collated, since we are not uh, including any single use plastics in our product at all, uh, we have to cut out that last little bit of automation. So instead of it, the cards, the card packs being shrink-wrapped and then put into the box, they're going to be hand wrapped by a human uh, who puts a piece, a little piece of paper around it, and then it continues going. At least that's how I understand it. I would like to think you would be able to have an automated little wrapping thing, but um, I think maybe our factory doesn't have it yet, or maybe they have one now. And a couple years ago, when I was talking to them about it, it had to be done by hand. So we'll see. But uh, anytime you leave out something that is standard. Like sh- like a like a cellophane wrap or a shrink wrap, uh, that's gonna create a
1: moment where a human being needs to come in and do something else instead. I remember being surprised by how much was still done by hand when I first saw like the videos of some of my first products you mm-hmm. know being printed. I, I I guess I had assumed like it would just all be full assembly line, but, but there were far more humans involved than I had initially guessed.
0: Yeah. Yeah, no, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's really, it's uh, anytime you have an opportunity to Google up some YouTube videos of factories, uh, of, of consumer products like games or toys or anything, uh, there's a ton of people on those assembly lines doing work, even though the, even the machines are also doing
1: automated work, so mm-hmm. it's,
0: it's definitely a mix.
1: Well, cool. Um, oh, wait. I read that one. I, I I really this this alternating thing is oh, yeah, has so thrown off. Yeah, <laughs>
0: no, it's fine. <laughs> All right, so I'll read this. All right, so Matt on Discord says, "Wait, wait! You can't just say there's five year FFG employment art and then not tell us where we can find your face in an FFG game." That's fair, Matt.
1: All right. Uh, I, I I went. Did you prepare for across... this? No, I I just ran across the room and took it off the wall. Nice. <laughs> I'm just disassembling my whole office for this podcast. <laughs> so, uh, yeah,
0: I, I think uh, does, I mentioned, where
1: does, where does yours show up? Uh, well, since you have yours
0: at the ready, I, you know, I think I mentioned when we were talking about this, how the, uh, the Android Genesis book is kind of like a, a yearbook of FFG staff <laughs> portraits. And I know yours is in there. Yep.
1: Yeah. I made it in there. I, it is a regret that I did not make it into Netrunner. Oh, did you? I, did you
0: not end up being a Netrunner in the end?
1: I wanted. Oh, I wanted to be like the whole reason I was an Android. Um, I got my my piece commissioned in Android. For those of you on YouTube,
0: yeah, <laughs> that's a good one too. I like that. one It's
1: a lot. uh, I was trying to get rid of the glare, but you can you if you know what you're looking for, you can clearly tell that the two people about to beat up, uh, I'm a, I'm a poor hapless NBN news reporter reporting on uh, unrest in New Angeles. And I'm about to uh, get taken out. Um, And uh, the, the two people about to jump me are very clearly Taylor Ingverson and uh, John Schaefer. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Like it's, they look just just distorted enough, but if you know what you're looking for, you can tell it's just Taylor with his face slightly distorted and John <laughs> with a <the> goatee. <laughs>
0: nice. I don't think I ever realized that. That's phenomenal.
1: Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I wanted to be a Netrunner card so bad. And um, I actually got my piece done in time. So, like, Netrunner was still going strong at my five years, but it takes a while to get your art done. Got my art done. Netrunner was still going strong, but like, because of a couple different factors, my piece like I think I was on a card and then it got cut, and then just uh like Netrunner was uh like the next set was being worked on by a different developer, and then and then uh right when I thought I was finally going to be in a set, Netrunner was canceled, and so I never got like the card with my face on it. So I was I was a little bummed.
0: <laughs> That's disappointing. Yeah, just another reason to be disappointed when Netrunner was. Uh... I know I got the plug pulled on it. Um, yeah, I'm, I, I did get into Netrunner with mine. It took me a long time to settle on what to do for my, uh, for my employee portrait. Cause at the time I was the, well, I, I guess, yeah, it was when I was the art director when I could first start to do it. So I was like, well, if the art director, the managing art director is going to get a piece done, it's got to be like really, really good. (laughs) So it took me a while to, uh, come up with the idea for it, but I eventually did. And I did a weird piece of ice, uh, that I just, that I did the, I did the sketch and the concept for, and then pass it off to, uh, an artist, um, who I knew would do a good job. I forget, I forget the name of the, of the artist who was working on Netrunner at the time, but he did some pretty amazing stuff. And uh, my piece is in terminal directive. I did not get oh, into yeah. the uh, I did not get into the um, into the Genesis book, but I'm on a card called Executive Functioning, which was I thought a hilarious title because I was an executive at the time.
1: <laughs> it's um, I think yours is probably one of the more like abstract.
0: Yeah, uh, well, I had this idea to do like I, it was a forearmed thing. And I had my arms out in this, like, weird shape, and then I had a ring kind of going around in between them all. And then I wanted my face broken up into multiple pieces, and then a fire where my face should be. Uh, You know, standard stuff. (laughs) And, uh, yeah, I think it turned out pretty great. I think it was – I was expecting maybe the artist to take a little bit of – take my idea and kind of maybe put a little bit of their own twist on it. But ultimately, Mm -hmm. he just – pretty much just did exactly what i what we sent him which happens sometimes mm-hmm. uh, it looks cool though Am I all yeah right? no
1: i i thought it was one of the more creative employee portraits that i've, I've ever seen
0: Well, good well mission accomplished <laughs>
1: <laughs> um all right next up we have uh Kay broski from discord um asking are y'all thinking of doing any merch i'd love to rock a sustainably produced ebg hat or t-shirt
0: Yeah, absolutely. Have you thought about it? Yes, a lot. Uh, I I spent a little bit of time doing research on like trying to find sustainable materials or like alternate materials, organically grown stuff, grown that like all this stuff's sourced in the states. Um, but man, that's expensive. Like (laughs) those are like eighty dollar t-shirts, and I don't know how much how badly. Anyone wants an Earthborn Games t-shirt? Do <laughs> you want it uh, for like eighty dollars? So it's just this uh, trying to find the something that fits with the uh, with the company mission, but also is like a fun thing to wear. I think is a difficult thing because I think most merch is just junk, mostly just kind of like throwaway stuff that's not really doesn't really, um, add a lot to the world or, uh, doesn't really reinforce, anything other than advertising, which, you know, has value obviously We're wearing people's logos around them and wearing like my L5R shirt like right now. Uh, but you know, this thing was very, pretty cheaply produced, um, and definitely I wouldn't say sustainably produced. So I think uh, that's the biggest thing, and I, we we have been talking recently about this idea of uh, using used clothing and printing on that, and I think that is a really interesting idea. So um, we are currently exploring that for for Earthborn shirts. I think we're going to try our you know try making some for ourselves and see what we think. But uh, if that seems like something that we can turn into a Uh, a product that people would want to buy, then I think we'll do something like that. I also really want to do a poster um, of the, Mm. uh, of the core game cover. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Uh,
0: Like, like hand, like hand printed, you know, so like the most sustainable printing there is just human muscles. (laughs) (laughs) I think that would be really, really awesome. Mostly for myself. Like right now I have like in front of me, I have uh, a poster of the Super Mario Brothers three cover artwork that stares at me every day, and oftentimes I think I can't wait to replace this with the <laughs> cover artwork for Thor Rangers.
1: Well, if, if we're if we're if we're selfishly requesting merch of ourselves, uh, I have a water bottle filled with outdoorsy stickers that yeah. really needs a ranger icon sticker on it. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, I did actually. Um,
0: for Christmas, uh, my wife got me a bunch of temporary tattoos of the ranger badge.
1: Oh, really? Yeah. yeah I don't yeah. think you, you told us that. That's rad.
0: No, yeah, it's, uh, I, mean, I haven't. I, I wanted to. Well, I was gonna just have one on one day and be like, haha. Um, <laughs> but you know, it's cold, so there's like I could only like you know put it on my face <laughs> so I could see it. So once it gets warm, I'll start wearing those uh, those temporary tattoos. That's cool. Yeah. It's neat. So it's, uh, I think that'll, if anyone wants to get that tattoo, I think it looks pretty cool. I, I asked, to, asked her to draw it in the middle of my back uh, about a month ago, because I was like, hmm, and I think it was shortly after you got your tattoo, Fisher, mm-hmm. where I was like, I had tattoos on my mind. And I I had the thought of like, oh, that would be a really cool tattoo. Like if because one of the things I've always struggled with is trying to think of something that was meaningful enough and cool enough that I'd want to have it on my body for the rest of my life. Yeah, so I had forever. This, yeah, so I had this thought of like, oh, the ranger badge would be really awesome, um, and really kind of fits that bill. So I had her draw it on me just to see, and it looked pretty awesome, but it also satisfied my desire
1: to have a tattoo. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was cool enough.
0: Yeah, yeah, I was like, oh, that was neat. Uh, so yeah, anyway, we'll, well, once I once once I wear one, I'll try to make sure to to wear one of those fake tattoos on the video at some point so everyone can see it. Sweet. All right. Am I reading this next one? Yep, you're up. All right. Lazy Blue Horse on Discord says, will any of the team be at UK Games Expo this year? Um, Possibly. Yes, there's a good chance that, uh, that I might be there. Um, the consulting firm that I've been working with, uh, is going to have a booth there and I might, uh, and I'm, and I might, uh, hold on I'm getting a message here from, or from Riverside. Nope. Everything's fine. Um, so I, I'm, so if I can, if, if the game can be there, then I will, I'll, I think I'll try to be there. So we'll see. Um, so stay tuned. I'll make sure to let everyone know uh, if we'll, if
1: we'll be there. Yeah. It's in June,
0: right? It's in June. Yep. Okay. And then the second part of the question is uh will the planned expansions for the EBR universe be one long story connecting each other? If so, uh will it have beginning, middle, and end or beginning, middle, middle, middle <laughs> ellipses forever? <laughs> you can answer that one, Fisher.
1: Well, uh so easy answer to the first part is yes, it will all be connected. Um Maybe not everything in the EBR universe, but at least everything for Rangers itself. Um, So you'll be able to take your characters from the core set and keep playing in our expansions. Uh, The stories are linked. Um, That being said, we're really trying to focus on each individual story, having a beginning and middle of an end, end of its own to make each of those products satisfying to play in isolation. Um, The plots do have some through threads, and you'll see choices you make earlier on impact later things and some reoccurring characters. And those reoccurring characters will kind of build to some larger themes uh, by the end of our run through the campaign. Um, But it's not a continuous story that you're only playing the first chapter of. It's a bunch of stories connected that... Your, char- your, your character is a, a thread and some other characters you meet will be a thread through as you kind of see these different parts of the setting around the valley. Um, so they will be a little connected and I think we'll get a little bit of a beginning, middle and end across the overall arc. But I think you can expect to be more invested in the story of the box you're in than the overall plot. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I think the uh, it's a it's a really interesting question because I I, I think I've talked about this um, before where I think planning for an end is is good um, but also realizing that if everyone's enjoying the game and there's no reason to stop it and we have cool ideas we might as well just keep going so there's definitely a um, a desire i think to have a, a nice encapsulated thing that you can at one point own all the things and not worry about having to get always get the new thing um but then there's also just the business side that says just don't don't stop don't ever stop uh so it, we'll see when we get there like how we end up feeling um right now i just want to get the first game done and out <laughs> which we're very close on doing so, so at the top forefront of my mind, but I think the, uh, the beginning, middle and end stuff, I think will probably actually show it's uh, actually come about in your interactions with different characters and little side stories that you might have with people, um, who are, who will show up from one campaign to the next and they will have an arc that you'll almost certainly be invested in. And those I think might have, Beginning, middles, and ends that are pretty distinct, uh, and I think also from a kind of a role-playing perspective, I think you might come to find that your your the story that you end up telling about your own ranger um, is going to be unique to you, and I think you might also find that there could be beginning, middles, and ends to it in a similar way, just through the emergent gameplay and how you interact with the different characters and the decisions you make throughout the stories. Um, So it kind of has that uh, ongoing tabletop role-playing game thing happening where you're just taking your character from one adventure to the next. And it's just like one long string and you can just kind of go back and tell this story of all these amazing things that you've done. And whenever you want to eventually retire that character, then that's kind of the end.
1: Yeah, I think the RPG campaign Uh, Comparison is a good one where you might play through a few stories, right? And then have characters that thread through those stories in a lot of, like in a lot of ways, Rangers is modeled after tabletop RPGs. And so I think that's kind of a good place to look for expectations. Unless your GM was as off the wall as Evans' GM, in which case uh, don't don't look to. I think Evans talked about his RPG campaign on here, and don't, don't maybe don't look to that one as comparison. <laughs> All right, next one's yours. Yeah. So Haley, uh, oh, Haley I think again. our yeah, um, our scientist asks, any chance we can bring back the sustainability corner?
0: I think there's a chance. There's definitely a chance. We chatted about this. I think when we were preparing for last the episode last week that that wasn't. And I, I think, from my perspective, the only thing standing in the way of bringing back the sustainability corner is that I feel like I've shared everything that I feel confident about in regard to sustainability and the things that I've learned uh, in relation to the board game industry. I think I could expound upon those topics a little bit more, but i f- i felt, so when I, I think when I was kind of petering out of doing the, uh, the sustainability corner from the beginning, I started thinking, well, if I we want to share some information, I feel like I need to do research like actually and know what I'm talking about and take the time to uh, investigate a topic, read about it, have enough knowledge about it to be able to speak about it intellig- intelligently on a podcast. And then when I'm sharing that information, make sure that it's reasonably accurate um, and trying to make time to do that while, you know, doing all sorts of other things that are you know more important to the, mission of getting the the game done. Um, I couldn't really justify that, that time. Um, you know, if we had a, you know, a massive audience where like this podcast was our, was uh, our primary job, then absolutely. I think that would be, that would be very worthwhile, but there are lots of podcasts out there that, that do that type of thing. If I think if, you know, people are interested in in science and sustainability and environmental stuff. There are, you know, whole podcasts dedicated to this, this type of top, this, this topic.
1: And we will certainly be sharing things as we learn them. Uh, we already did like, we did all the research leading up to Rangers and we shared some of that in the early episodes of things we learned. Um, but now we're really just, uh, getting ready to produce it based on those things we learned. Uh, when we in the future are preparing to print whatever our next product is and maybe doing materials that we haven't already um, kind of put some thought into and we're having to do more research for those. And also like if technologies change and we change how we're doing our you know existing products, we'll definitely let you know and we'll we'll bring it back and talk about the things we're learning then. But we're just not in a phase where we're really like, exploring it at the moment so in the future when we do uh we will and if listeners have interesting things they want to share uh you know uh it, it included, not limited to uh <laughs> environmental science uh, atmospheric <laughs> science sorry um we are certainly willing to share uh, all of your expertise as well so yeah absolutely yeah
0: and i think uh, my my hope is is that once you know the game's produced and out is to effectively do a kind of like an evaluation of like where, where the vision started and then where we ended up and then to talk about the decision-making process along the way, you know, which you know, we've kind of done an episode to episode of the podcast, but I think, um, having a, uh, either doing it here or doing it in a blog post or something like that, I think, uh, would be extremely valuable. Um, and then like Fisher said, when, as we move forward, we will be looking to improve our processes. Uh, so hopefully we will, we will learn more, uh, as time goes on. All right. let's see here. Um, parasol on discord says, can some EBG staff let us know what will happen after the pre-order store closes? I don't want to miss out on some stuff. Though I think once I have the game on hand, there are some other friends that will definitely be interested in picking up copies, accessories, where there'll still be a way to get stuff. Will any slash most of these current items disappear? Uh, Yeah. So after the pre-order store closes, um, we'll have a little while where the game or nothing will be available for purchase uh, while we are busy getting our online store on our website, ready to go. And then once we have inventory in our uh, various warehouses, then we will um, make those things available on a web store on our website. So that's where people are gonna be able to buy things um, once the game is out. And then obviously in places like Germany and France and uh, in Italy, you'll be able to buy those uh localized versions at retail. Um, though I think maybe Frosted is doing it as an online only thing, and I think maybe maybe Fantage is doing it as an online only thing. So I think maybe the only thing that actually be in retail stores is the French version at first. Um but we uh we'll see. We have a fair number of copies uh that we printed uh over what was um what's going to backers. And pre-order store and uh, and pre-order backers, uh, so we have plenty to sell. So hopefully we'll sell a bunch of those on our website, but um, uh, we're definitely open to um, pushing those through uh, distribution and retail as well. So we'll see what happens. Um, so the game might be available uh, in stores, uh, but it might just be available on our website. Um, but as for the other things, so. The only things I think that will actually show up in stores, if they do, are I think going to be things like the the course the corset, almost certainly, the car doubler maybe. Um, that's a, kind of a weird thing to carry uh, for a lot of places. You might we might just have that on our site, um, but things like the the tokens, um, the ranger miniatures, uh, the trail map, the art book, all that stuff, uh, and the and the play mats. Um, that's all going to be a uh, limited quantity stuff. So once, so we have, we've we've printed over a few of, a, a few of what we, uh, needed because that's just how quantities work at factories. They don't do exactly what you order. So we'll have, we'll have some extra copies of that stuff to sell. Uh, but not a ton. Once those are gone, they'll, they'll be gone. And then we'll be gearing up for our next round of, of products that will happen with our next crowdfunding campaign. Uh, that'll look a little bit different from what we did this time around. So, yeah. So I think the, for your friends who want to get on board, I would say stay tuned or just pre-order now we have, I think once this posts, we'll still have the weekend left. If you're, if you want to pre-order, our pre-order store closes midnight on the 31st of January. So, uh, that's the best way to, if you, if you want it, make sure to get it. So if you have anyone who's on the fence, who's worried about missing out, uh, or having to wait, encourage them to go there and, and pick it up.
1: Yeah, that's a good point. When this airs, you'll have four days left, so tell everybody to go get it. <laughs> that's, right. that's right. All right, sweet. So next up we have Ryan via email who says, I'm new to LCGs, uh, specifically Arkham Horror, and have been uh, having a great time with it over the past year. FFG has been periodically releasing a taboo list, which nerfs, buffs, or adjusts existing cards? Do you expect to have some EBR card nerfs, uh, cards nerfed, buffed, or adjusted post-release during playtesting? What are some examples of cards you nerfed or buffed? Um, I mean, no, our game's perfect. We'll never change it. <laughs> I go on the record. Done. No, I, I mean, it's. Pretty infamous, you know, like first card sets for card games often have some issues just because like the game doesn't exist yet. So you don't have a ton of practice making cards for it. And, you know, you you don't have like a giant installed player base who's able to kind of test and establish common knowledge. So a lot of these card games often have some um, issues that crop up when tons of people start playing them. We have the benefit that, like in this case, you know, we're this kind of more role playing experience. We're not a um, tournament competitive game. Uh, (laughs) um, And so, but that being said, we probably will do some amount of FAQ and errata if issues come up, where we will adjust cards potentially for for future printings and post an errata list uh, on our website. I have to imagine we're going to find some cases where we 're going to need that, just being realistic. you know we 're only a few people making this very large and complex game, so i I can definitely see that happening uh, um, in fact, uh, you know now that our, our game is at the factory we, we just had a tester last week really like pushed the limits of the game <laughs> and made a real <laughs> gross deck. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> where, where were they during during uh, core game testing? But uh, um, examples of cards that we nerfed or buffed during testing, that one's going to be harder because, as I said earlier, there was just so much. Well,
0: the one, that, th- the one that that okay, d- immediately to mind for me uh, because uh, I'm not necessarily involved in every, you know, <laughs> rules wording just or balanced decision. <laughs> so like sometimes I'd see things uh, after they'd been just like, Oh, that that's new or like that value's changed or oh, no, that, that keyword wasn't there before. And, uh, I remember seeing that and being surprised that, uh, iron world, iron wool boots ended up being unique. Oh yeah. So that was a, that was a nerf that happened very late in the process.
1: Yeah, um, Iron Will Boots lets you soothe a fatigue every time you play a moment. Uh, so, very good and one of our most sustainable pieces of gear. Um, honestly, most of our uh, starting gear, gear you put in your early deck, has a fairly limited number of uses. Um, but some of this, fati- like these kind of like trickles of fatigue soothing cards, didn't. And so it made the Iron wool boots very powerful. And if you could equip two sets of Iron Roll boots, boots, uh, it was incredibly good because you're soothing two fatigue and it combos with some other stuff in the Traveler where you can like recur a moment and the, re- the recursion's a moment and the recurred moment's a moment. And then you have two pairs of Iron wool boots and you're soothing like four fatigue and it's <laughs> just amazing. Um, so we made them unique because we really like the sustainability of like being able to use those boots over and over and over again. Uh, and also it was just a little thematically weird to be wearing two sets of boots. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. I like, uh, I think that's a nice excuse is that it, uh, it, it makes far more thematic sense to only wear one pair of boots. Just put them on your hands.
1: Um, but the other direction cards we buffed, um, actually I think probably the biggest example of this, there's tons of cards we buffed, uh, you know, throughout development, uh, And it's hard to remember all the, like, bad versions because, of course, they weren't very good, so they're a little forgettable. But Shaper is a set of cards. Um, It's one of our specialties, for those of you who don't know. I'm pretty sure most people listening to the podcast at this point uh, know what a Shaper is. But for those of you who don't know, they're kind of like our wizards in setting. They can manifest um, ideas in their mind physically in the real world. And it's they're, they're kind of like our wizards in that sense. Um, they use these conduits, which are objects that they are attuned to to amplify their manifestations to get them to these power levels. And uh, there was actually these conduits, that were, these very conduits that were causing a problem. You only get to add a certain number of cards from your specialty at character creation. And so one of your cards from the Shaper set was this conduit, and the rest were manifestations usually. And... They just there just weren't that many shaper cards that could go into your deck, and so you couldn't get like enough of them to really make this impact, mm. and they just weren't as good. Um, and the balance we ended up coming to was actually in buffing the conduits and kind of finding this alternate. Um, avenue for them to use the resources that they kind of build up to to, to channel uh, manifestations, and so the, kind of the idea behind that is that you know your manifestations don't just channel into these singular big powers, but you can use this manifestation a little more in in small ways throughout your uh, throughout your day, and so the ability to do this on these conduits is kind of representing that, and by putting some of that back onto the conduit we were able to kind of bring up their power level in fact i, I think shapers if i had to guess a deck that was going to break the game i think a shaper deck probably will break the game at some point uh <laughs> they ended up pretty strong so those those are probably my best example of a, a pretty significant buff we made yeah cool
0: all right uh next one from darren darren the dependable <laughs> as rangers he says we get to choose to be an artificer, conciliator, explorer, or shaper. What is High Pimpot's specialty? And when do we get to be that? Do each of the Ranger NPCs have official specialties? Oh, that was a great question.
1: That is a great question. What is How High Pimpot's specialty? He's a chef. I, yeah, he's a chef. Or a cook.
0: Yeah. We can talk
1: about oh. what we have planned. Let's do it. Why not? We can? Yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we, we do have several more specialties planned, which include several specialties that show up in our NPC Rangers, including High Pimpop and including Kordo. Um, and actually, and including Null. So, like, yeah, all mm-hmm. of our NPC specialty uh, specialties will show up in future Rangers products.
0: Yeah, let's go. <laughs> Let's be the cook. I think that'll be fun.
1: Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, like that that's currently in our vision document is a cook. We we haven't developed the cook yet, so it may not survive <laughs> contact with the enemy, but I really like the concept. We already have this foraging going on. Mm-hmm. Um we can potentially um introduce a bit of hunting as long as we kind of do it in a way that like fits with the setting. Mm-hmm. And so in combination with these a cook to be able to kind of use those resources and synergize with those backgrounds would be pretty cool. Absolutely. Thank you, Darren, um, for letting us spoil some stuff. I never know like what to spoil or what not to spoil. So it's fun to talk about some of that <laughs> stuff. Um, so next up is, uh, Stein via email. Um, uh, Anders in the past said that Stein had an awesome name, uh, and they they thank him it, it, and clarify that it's pronounced somewhat like Stein, with the I-G, I-J sounding like the E-I in Einstein. Um, I was just at a party where we were discussing campaign games and what a commitment they are. How some games require you to have the same group together all the time. Games like Arkham LCG, Lord of the Rings LCG, while others are much more forgiving, like Gloomhaven. I wonder where EBR follows on, falls on the spectrum. Can you start a campaign and can people that miss sessions continue playing? Or on the other hand, if I start one-handed solo campaign, how easy is it for me to introduce a friend by allowing them to be part of my campaign for one game with their own deck? Um, very easy. Uh, in your comparison, Arkham and Lord of the Rings versus something like Gloomhaven... Uh, Gloomhaven is a pretty good direct comparison to our game, uh, where every time you set up the game, it scales how the game, how that given session scales, is based on how many players are there that time. Additionally, beyond like, you know, Gloomhaven, you have to like open a special box just for that player, you know, you're tracking these changes just to that character. In Rangers, all of your unlocked rewards are on your kind of group sheet and can be swapped out of ranger decks and back into other ranger decks at any time. So they're kind of this group resource. So in that um, things you unlock aren't stuck on a, on a given ranger. Um, If you end the day in a way uh, where you can customize your deck, when you camp, you can, uh, swap those rewards between players. So, for example, you might be able to swap some of those rewards into a new deck for your visiting friend. Or if you unlock rewards and somebody who's just there for one session is using them, you can retrieve them from their deck and put them back into your other decks. So, not only does the game scale to people dropping in and dropping out, but our kind of progression mechanic in the reward cards uh, is very flexible in that way. Um, So, we've really designed it to be drop in and drop out friendly. Uh, so yes. Invite your friends for one-off sessions. Absolutely. Absolutely.
0: I think the only, and I think too, like the, um, I was worried and and I think you've maybe talked about this too, Fisher of, of bringing people in kind of mid campaign and if they'd feel like they were lost as far as where they were in the story. Mm -hmm. Um, And, uh, I found in each instance where I brought people in, uh, it was really easy to get them up to speed and there was enough interesting things going on in the moment where, uh, you know, the the immediate goal was clear, Mm -hmm. uh, where the fact that they didn't necessarily know everything that led up to that point didn't really matter. And the fact that they were going to be leaving after this one or two sessions didn't matter either because they got a nice satisfactory conclusion out of the, uh, out of, out of the moment of the story we were in. So, um, yeah. So I think I think the game's great for that. I agree with you 100%. Yeah, I... Like,
1: the the one complication I ran into with dropping in my friends kind of mid-one of my playtesting campaign was just, like, I had a lot going on at the time, right? Like, you're kind of... The earlier game eases you in a bit more. Uh, and then, like, I was in the full swing. And I I, I like to take on bite off more than I can chew. And I had several active missions going. <laughs> and so I was like, okay, well, ignore those missions today. We're just, we're looking at this one and like, you know, trying to kind of um, simplify the board state for them a bit. And mm-hmm. so that was one challenge with bringing them in, but the game scaled just fine. Awesome.
0: All right. So I think that, wow, that was it. Thank you everyone for all the yes. questions. That was, that was an, an epic, yet another epic listener question section.
1: So yeah, I really so appreciated much. how many we've been getting. It's 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 been really fun. I I think like that's my favorite part of this podcast is just engaging with, with everybody. Uh, I really enjoy talking about these things. And while Discord is fine, I'm very like I I definitely enjoy the verbal communication more than I enjoy like sitting there and like editing and reanalyzing my written text. So <laughs> So, so I've really appreciated all the questions. Thank yeah, you. Yeah.
0: All right. Uh, so let's let's do uh, let's talk about what we've been doing work wise. Would you like yeah. to, Would you like to start? Sure. We uh, just had a know, we just had a meeting today, talk, like only a couple hours ago, talking about this all the, these same things. So.
1: Yeah, I know. <laughs> well, hopefully this will be a little more uh, exciting and, and, and dynamic. We won't we won't bore you with an hour and a half of uh, <laughs> updates here. Um, so uh, I alluded to something that we were going to be testing at uh, at beers. Uh, We never, we didn't quite end up doing like a full test. It kind of ended up turning into a discussion of some of the concepts. We kind of started, you know, kind of like teaching the prototype and then kind of talking about it and, you know, bringing up some of the places that are working and some of the places that aren't. And I think. Well, we didn't quite get it on the table, so to speak, uh, contradicting my earlier advice to get things on the table as soon as possible. Uh, (laughs) We did have a great breakthrough. There was like a core concept that wasn't uh, quite clicking. And I actually think it was Evan suggested kind of a, a framing of like the overall concept of the project that changed how I was looking at it and just like made everything else kind of fall into place so that was just like you know it's it's so funny that like i was stuck on this thing and then like just a very simple suggestion uh like it just you know makes all the puzzle pieces fit so that was a very good feeling and Mm -hmm. um i'm feeling very good about where that project is at and uh when i get back um uh i think we've got a finally actually get it on the table and and see where it's at
0: well you've done so much work on it i feel like it, it it would be a waste to not get it to the table soon
1: yeah totally i also uh continuing to be vague on this project uh there is a piece of inspiration kind of core to rangers itself that we kind of I took a closer look at again for this project. And so it's kind of cool to go back to some of the inspirations for our first project and kind of um get re inspired by them again. So that, that that's been it's it's been a it's been a cool it's been a cool project.
0: Yeah. I think we should just, you know, we should just say what it
1: is more
0: <laughs> after all of my vagary for the yeah. last two minutes yeah 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 well because i think it's it's because it's like it's vague enough where it could be irritating but like it's also not <laughs> not vague enough to where it's pretty obvious what we're talking about
1: all right um yeah i mean i basically spoiled it last time somebody <laughs> somebody in the discard uh caught me saying uh uh we were rolling up something and uh <laughs> called me out so uh so yeah, uh we are kind of working on some early mechanics for a Rangers role-playing game. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's it's it, it, it's a natural fit, obviously. Absolutely. Um, and I have a long history with role playing games, so it's very close to my heart. So it's been fun to kind of explore down that avenue.
0: Yeah, and it's really exciting from my perspective too, because I have I have just so many, uh, the the number of like fiddly, uh, like simulationist ideas I've had about the setting and, and how to try to implement those in Rangers that I've presented you with. Um, and, and some maybe that I haven't. It's just it's a very long list of things that I'd be like, oh, it'd be really cool if we could do this. I'm like, eh, we probably don't want to introduce one more thing to this game. Uh, but a role playing game, like um, just a full on role playing game. Allows us to, I think, explore a lot of those ideas uh, in a place where it makes more sense.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, and those ideas do come back around too. Uh, Davi suggested something on Monday that clicked really well with like that that idea we talked about during development of like environmental impact mm-hmm, and like mm-hmm. how do we track that and like how do we trace that. And like, if we could integrate into the game, yeah, Uh, Devi suggested something that might like click nicely with that. Oh, really? Talk about okay. Well, that's
0: very exciting. Yeah. So,
1: but yes, the RPG will be a a great place to kind of explore a lot of those ideas that couldn't quite fit into a card game. Uh, But yeah. um, So beyond beyond that, um, Luke uh, continues to work on the campaign expansion, um, and he's really kind of getting up to speed. And I think his uh work is starting to to bear fruit we've been um going over uh all like the, the full scope of everything in this campaign and it's been it's been looking pretty good um so hopefully hoping to get it on the table a bit next week and, and do some tests with that um uh and then in some of our new ranger cards that we're working on uh davi is is designing some of those and uh we're getting art started. Evan's starting art on those. Um it's it's been awesome. He's working with uh what's the studio that he's working with?
0: Uh I forget what they're called. But they've done work for they did a lot of work for Blacklist. They're a like a like a like a like a, like a, like a proper studio. So they have several artists that they then farm out stuff to individual artists.
1: They've they been like contact. they've been turning around stuff like really fast and like it's it's been awesome to yeah. like see that like the, the different cards they're working on come together some of them came together too fast like
0: i feel like <laughs> that was so i feel like they they're definitely a place where if you tell them to do a thing they will just go um, mm. and then, uh, so we had to send a few pieces back like, yeah, just, you know, just take your time on that a little bit, <laughs> a little yeah, more that's fair. attention. And they did a great job with that too. So yeah, it's, it's very, very promising. So looking forward to continuing to work with
1: them. Cool. Uh, last thing is, um. Well, actually I'll hold that for, I'll, I'll hold my last bullet point for next time. All right. <laughs> yeah. Just c- continuing <laughs> to, you know, even after you had me announce a bunch of things, I'm going to continue to be a tease. <laughs> so go ahead, Andrew.
0: All right. I'm working on production stuff. So I've been going back and forth with uh, Ludifact and our other factories who are working on the add-ons and uh, that's been my life for the past several weeks. It's a lot of emails, a lot of emails back and forth, um, doing troubleshooting, uh, addressing um, notes from the factory on our files, looking things up after they're, they send me notes on like regulations for uh, back of box wording and all sorts of stuff. So all stuff that's, that's uh, a lot of questions and things that I've never had to address before and um, finding my way through that though i did have the uncomfortable so like fisher and i had a, a conversation earlier today and um i've been having i've been having difficulty you know working on this production stuff cuz it's it's very challenging for me and it's not not i don't think directly in my skill set uh so there's a lot of a lot of learning that i've been doing but i had the uncomfortable realization this evening that i feel like i'd i've done this to myself where I've been feeling the entire time throughout this entire project that this part of the project would be difficult Mm -hmm. and without really any reason for it, just thinking that it would be difficult. And I had the realization tonight that I feel like I've made it difficult through my intention. Mm. I feel like I'm pretty much completely to blame for making difficult because I really start to think about the actual task at hand and what needs to be done, it's not hard at all. So I had a really great realization tonight that I hope we'll then I'll be, be able to carry that forward into the days ahead and uh, hit those emails with renewed <laughs> verve and vigor. Uh, but yeah, so right now the everything's at the factory. Uh, they're reviewing our files and getting ready. To, we're getting ready to go to press. Um, we've had some... A little bit of difficulties here and there. Uh, The most recent one is that uh, there was a bit of a miscommunication on the size of the card dividers. Um, So we have card dividers that will divide up all the cards into the various sets. There's like 35 different card dividers that come in the game. And uh, the measurements we had... we had for those were a little bit taller than the ones that the factory had. So the factory came back and said, Oh, they can only be so high. And if we go bigger, then we're going to have to reorder paper and that'll cause a big delay. So, um, the solution was pretty simple then it's like, okay, well, I guess we have to go with the smaller dividers. So the only problem is is like the amount of space that's available above the card. We know that they'll be sitting in your box is going to be relatively small. So we don't have a very large area to print on. Um, so to print on that area, we need to violate the printer's uh, uh, die line cut tolerance policy of th- three millimeters. So we'll see what they say. Um, and if uh, if it doesn't work out, then we'll have to, I think, maybe redesign those to maybe like a language list version. Um, but uh, I have an email out with them and we'll, we'll see what they say. And also I've been reviewing digital digital proofs, um, which, uh, I think if anyone has ever, (laughs) if anyone's in tabletop or has ever dealt with digital proofs, proofs before, they're not ideal. Uh, you don't really quite know what you're reviewing with the digital proof.
1: Yeah. This is not ideal is, uh, putting it, uh, politely. (laughs) Yeah. So, you know, I have a a
0: few things that are like waiting for approval for me, but, um, when I was looking looking them over. All the PDFs looked super low res to me, um, which is obviously is not what we sent them. So, uh, I just want to make sure that those PDFs that I'm looking at are that, that, that they're not actually indicative of the final print quality. Um, and, uh, you know, obviously they should not be, but then if they're not, then what am I doing? Like, <laughs> wow, uh, these, these proofs are really only there as like, Hey, is this text completely missing, or is this object completely the wrong place, but you can't really test it for quality or color or, or anything.
1: Yeah. So for those of you who aren't aware, the proofing step is usually a step to see the product as it will actually be created to make sure that there's no kind of issues in translating these digital files into a physical product. Um, but printing a physical product and shipping it across the world is very difficult. So a lot of factories have been shifting over to digital proofs, which is basically just like looking at your PDFs one more time. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so it it eliminates a lot of, like, the value about physical proofing. And obviously the the factories still do physical proofing, so it's not like, you know, they're just blind hitting print and walking away. But, you know, it is nice for us to be able to, like, review that and and like, you know, our physically ourselves to catch any kind of weird things that only somebody who's that close to the game would be able to notice.
0: Mm -hmm. So, you know, the files look like they're in good shape. Everything's there, you know, 10 fingers, 10 toes, but it looks really bad (laughs) image quality wise. So just want to make sure that that's, you know, that that's the that that's really not something I need to worry about, but I don't want to hit approve on something that looks like garbage, uh, and then have them print that garbage and then tell me I approved it and, uh, I have no recourse. So that's the stuff that I'm doing. Um, <laughs>
1: but, uh, the I really, know, the glamorous side the, of the glam- Tabletop games. yeah,
0: But, you know, I think, again, it's just a matter of attitude because I think in the, in the end, I mean, ultimately, like I want the game, I want to bring the game to people. And this is just part of that process. So I think I just need to hold on to that, that feeling of, you know, this is, this is all in service of the greater good of getting the game out and mm-hmm. in the hands of everybody, which is the, which is the goal. So I should, I should approach, I should approach this with more joy. So I'll try to do that in the uh, in the weeks and months ahead that's all i've got let's talk about what we're into sweet what are you into fisher what have you been doing what have you been up to oh, a, lot of, a lot of a lot of stuff i've been
1: reading a lot i my my, my lots of uh, i have like in our show notes i have lots of reading and i was going to be suitably vague because i've been reading lots of role-playing games but uh <laughs> <laughs> now i don't need to be vague about it uh yeah, I've been like uh, catching up on some role playing game systems I've I've missed, and actually finding quite a bit of fun and joy just out of like reading through a rule book that I never intend to run. Uh, <laughs> yeah, which is a little unusual for me. I like I I always made it a goal to play every role playing game on my shelf. Um, so reading books that I have no intention to run a campaign for because I'm 35 and it's hard to schedule. Uh, is a new experience for me but it's been pretty enjoyable uh as like a research one and just like some of these books are gorgeous uh mm-hmm. like i have uh the one ring second edition over there
0: oh did you pick that, that up
1: yeah yeah nice
0: um, yeah i've been, I re- that, I've been reading uh, that i use
1: that source gift card to to get it and it is gorgeous
0: yeah like, it's an awesome looking
1: yeah they like i love the production on that uh mm-hmm and i i think i dig the system so i actually might run that one
0: uh, oh really uh, that's cool yeah i've been yeah. enjoying that as well um i'm still at the i think i'm, I'm just past character creation or just past the uh, the different cultures and that, mm-hmm. that bit but i've been enjoying you can see it just over my shoulder on the shelf uh, but i've been enjoying reading that as well that's cool
1: yeah, a lot of my RPGs I just get on PDFs on that tablet I showed earlier. But The One Ring, I just I looked at the book and I was like, oh, I like it's so pretty. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I wanted the the actual book for that one.
0: Yeah, uh, when I went out to coffee with uh, with Rob uh, a couple weekends ago, he suggested uh, f- also by Free League, uh, Forbidden Forbidden Lands, Forgotten Lands. You yeah, know, it sounded pretty cool. It was kind of like a, uh, there's a lot of open world vibes going on with that, where it was, it seemed like it was a tabletop game that was about, um, non-linear storytelling.
1: Oh yeah. Forbidden lands. Forbidden lands. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Uh, so I was kind of curious to check that out as well.
1: That's cool. The art's cool. The art, yeah. the covers neat. It's very unique. Mm Mm-hmm um but besides reading um Sam and I started the last of us on HBO which has been very enjoyable so far very very faithful to the game uh like very faithful to the game surprisingly mm-hmm. so but uh very good uh the opening to that game is killer so the opening of the show was pretty killer too uh and um lastly I've been playing my friends and I used to play a lot of multiplayer games together And it's been harder to kind of schedule uh, lately. And so we kind of resolved to choose a survival game and like coordinate a night we were going to all play it together and like have kind of like a little survival game server. Uh, Like Valheim was Mm. on the list. Um, uh, We had a few others, but we ended up settling on V Rising, which is this kind of like survival game meets Diablo and you're all vampires. Uh, game that came out earlier, I think, last in 2022. Uh, it is kind of a cool mechanic where there's a day-night cycle and, like, during the day, anytime you're not in the shadow that's, like, actually cast in the graphics engine, you can take damage. Mm. So you kind of have to, like, stick to the shadows and uh, if you're going to be out during the day. Wow, it looks and so, just like Diablo. Yeah, it's kind of got that top-down um, perspective. But it plays a lot more like a survival game. Like, you actually build your castle and, like... Uh, you know, I spent a good chunk of the, the first hour of the game chopping down trees, you know, you know, typical vampire stuff. <laughs>
0: <Yeah>. <laughs> All the stuff that they do off camera.
1: Yeah. <laughs> but uh, it's it's pretty cool because it, it does have a more combat bent than a lot of other survival games. You can, like, get like pick up the blood trails of these like uh, basically bosses who have, you know. Special blood that like unlocks your awesome upgrades, and then you you go out as a group and and kill them. And uh, so it's it's kind of like half Diablo, half survival crafting game, and it's it's been fun so far. It's uh, we're just playing on a private server, so we are kind of steamrolling the content. Uh, mm-hmm. We just like all got together in a big group, build our giant castle, and go steamroll the contents. We're not playing the true like PvP experience, but. We don't, we don't have time for PVP and like always online servers. We just want to
0: enjoy it. So are you playing, can you accidentally kill each other um, or, or intentionally?
1: We, <laughs> we, uh, we all joined the same um, like clan oh, okay. in the game. Um, by default, it's set to four, but since we own the server, we just up the clan number so that we could all be in the same clan and hang out together. But we did have one friend who had played before who refused to join our clan and then set up his own little castle just outside and was fighting us. So So we had um... a little PvP, mostly just from a uh, uh, contrarian (laughs) member of our group. (laughs) Uh,
0: I like that. That's cool.
1: But yeah, that's what what I've been up to lately. Nice. Uh,
0: So I've been... uh... My, uh, my wife's been out of town this past week, so we've had, uh, we've had a guy's week here at the house and, uh, Sam bought a couple video games with his, with his Christmas bunny recently. And one of those games was super Mario party for the switch. So awesome. we've been, we've been playing super Mario party. Have you played super Mario party?
1: So I played a bunch of super Mario party on like the N64. Maybe on the GameCube a little, but it's been a long time. I that, don't think I've played the Switch one.
0: That game, man. Well, it's like an All Stars game. I think it's called like Super Mario Party well, Superstars or All Stars or something like that. It's it's like a uh,
1: oh, so it's like collecting best of kind of yeah, thing? yeah, yeah, yeah. So all
0: it right. has it's kind of like a little history lesson and has, of uh, of various Mario parties. So it has them from all different games. Uh, but this is the first time I've played. I'm familiar with it. I've seen it played. And so I, I, I had a really good idea of what I was getting into, um, but it can't quite prepare you for the level <laughs> of random bullshit that that game presents you with. Man, you cannot go into Mario Party and care about winning. If you care no, about winning, absolutely not. You are going to have the worst time imaginable. Uh, but it's just like you roll dice, you go around a board, you land on spaces that have different events associated with them. And, uh, and that's the game. So uh, the, the random rolling is, I think, I think the game has this like really cruel sense of humor (laughs) where it knows (laughs) it 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 just, it just knows like what would be, the worst outcome here that ever makes is going to make everyone go oh my god and it'll do that to you uh, i like, like the uh,
1: thought that they don't actually have a random number number generator program to the game instead it is just like the malice function and you call the malice function
0: <laughs> it really feels like it whenever i get a one it's like i say out loud like man it's it's anything but a one and then one <laughs> Uh, but, uh, yeah, that's been, that's been fun though. just been fun hanging out, uh, hanging out with my kids, playing that. The mini games are pretty enjoyable. Uh, you do a mini game at the end of each round and then you can get, you know, additional coins and stuff from that. And, uh, I we played, I think th- three times this week and, uh, Sam won the first two and I won the last one, um it wasn't, he wasn't Has, happy
1: ha, that. have you destroyed any any joysticks yet
0: <laughs> <laughs> no but i have like found myself being like man fuck this game
1: <laughs> i think it was like i i am pretty sure this is this is a pretty big callback but I, I like during the n64 era it was infamous for just destroying mangling joysticks cuz like some of them you had to like swirl the joystick oh, as fast as yeah, possible yeah 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 no there so is people one just like do that. like this yeah and they're, like it would destroy people's controllers.
0: Yeah, they they have that one in there where you have to like rotate it, and it has a warning and says, "Don't put your palm on your stick because it'll wreck it. <laughs> Don't do that." It, it's like right there. So just use your use your finger instead. Um, I forget that what which one that is, but yeah, it's like you just got to like move it as quickly. And there's a lot of button mashing, a whole lot of yeah. button mashing. Um, so, yeah that's been that's been pretty fun that's that's pretty much all I, i've been doing i've uh i've also started uh dabbling in breaking bad oh so that's I, right i've never watched breaking bad uh i and i saw a interview with brian cranston where he was going on his little press junket for his new show his new season of his new show and uh it was a uh, the, on the conan o'brien podcast and they were talking about his performance and Breaking Bad, and I was like, "And you know, I I know generally, you know, what happens in that show and what it's about, obviously, um, but I'd never seen it. But I was like, yeah, okay, you know, maybe I'll check it out. Uh, so I did, and I've been I've been kind of like have have it on here and there, like uh, kind of in the background a bit, um, and then like late at night when I'm completely out of energy. Um, but I, it's, uh, I think it's, it's pretty good so far. I think like I was kind of surprised how quickly he Walter White turns into a dirt bag. Um, <laughs> I kind of expected that to be a slower <laughs> ramp, but he becomes pretty despicable pretty early on. Yeah, um, he does. And, uh, it, yeah, it's like, it gets know,
1: worse though. Oh, I, ima- I
0: I can only imagine. I was like, I thought there would be a longer build up to him like just being this like complete scumbag, but he's pretty unlikable Mm
1: -hmm. almost
0: from the beginning. But I, I think it was the one thing that I was kind of surprised by was how little they really bothered with his rationale for his plan to like cook meth and sell it for, for money for his family. Like, it's all taken care of in the span of this one scene when he's actually he gets his cancer diagnosis and he's sitting by the pool and he's like throwing matches into the pool, and then he comes out of that where like, this is what's happening, and it made Pick me now. yeah, and it made me think of uh, it made me think of uh, the pitch meeting videos. Where you know, like why is he doing that, so it's, so the story can happen, <laughs> oh okay, yeah, all right, all right, so that's kind of how I feel I was like why is he clicking meth so we can have this show all right
1: <laughs> <laughs> i I was surprised to hear that you were watching Breaking Bad um it just it seemed way too grim for your current sensibilities,
0: <laughs> yeah, and it 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 definitely is, but I feel like i i uh whenever I watch shows that are a little bit darker, um, I feel like I come at them from a, a different perspective than I have in the past. So, I mean, if there's anything in here that's like just so gross that I just, it just is, I don't, I don't want to truck with it. I'll turn it off. I won't, I won't watch it anymore. Mm-hmm. Like I didn't, like I watched the first two seasons of the boys. I did not watch the oh, third yeah. season of the boys. Cause I was like <laughs> that second season, I saw things there and, I did, I did not need to see and heard sounds that will never leave my brain. uh, That <laughs> I, I just I don't need that, so I'm not going back. So and there's same nothing, thing. There's Game nothing. Of that,
1: gr- there's nothing that gratuitous in Breaking Bad, but there's definitely things that are. Well, there's some pretty
0: they, messed up stuff. Like I just saw a severed head on a turtle.
1: Yeah, uh, yeah, it, that
0: was pretty gross. But um, the things
1: that get me in the show are the things that are just really like sad, right? Like, yeah. there's stuff that's just like deeply, deeply kind of like sad and you know disheartening, and like th- those are the ones that really hit me. Like the gore, you know? Yeah. You know, no, I th-
0: like so far, I feel like the the message of the story at this point is like the the or the the one of the biggest themes that I've seen is the kind of like the, the viral nature of deceit where, you know, Walter just starts being, he becomes more and more deceitful. And then that then makes his family then become deceitful also.
1: Mm -hmm. Uh,
0: and I thought that was really interesting, um, to show how, uh, corrosive, um, that can be uh, so it's definitely definitely a cautionary tale in, in that way. Um, and I don't think they really show, show the characters in a, in a super heroic light. So I don't think they're like trying to make them seem like they're good people or like they're doing good things. Um,
1: yeah, that's certainly Or true. glamorizing
0: it in any, in any way. Uh, but there's a levity to it, too, that I think also helps take the edge off where it's like, uh, I didn't realize how much like a Coen Brothers film A lot of it is where it's just like criminals making stupid decisions and being stupid and then them trying to get out of it.
1: Yeah. It is a, it is a bit of a fiasco, right? Like, yeah, absolutely.
0: Yeah. Yeah, 100%. Like they don't know what they're doing. They're just fucking (laughs) making it all up as they go along.
1: (laughs) Yeah. I think I, I I told you, I like, I recently watched better call Saul, Mm -hmm. the Mm -hmm. sequel to the show. And I thought the juxtaposition was interesting, especially now with you going back and watching Breaking Bad, where like Better Call Saul has a lot of similarities, a lot of similar DNA. But there's like a lot of that show is smart people outsmarting each other. Right. And a lot of Breaking Bad is dumb people outdumbing each other.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So we'll see if I stick with it. Uh, I'm. I, this first season is pretty short. So I ended up burning through that pretty fast. Um, so yeah, we'll, we'll see. I'll, we'll, I'll check back in later on, see, let people know where I, where I land on it.
1: Cool.
0: All right. I enjoy it. Thank you. Well, that's going to do it for our very special Andrew's only edition of the, uh, Earthborn Earthborne games podcast. Thank you all for listening. Uh, as we mentioned earlier, uh, pre-orders are still available. Uh, they're available for just a few more days until January 31st. So, if you know anyone who wants to pick it up and is on the fence, please encourage them to pick up a copy. And uh we'll be back in a couple of weeks and do this all over again, hopefully with a uh, a full cast and very possibly with all of us in the same room. With a prototype of Earthborne Rangers in front of us.
1: We've got some exciting stuff coming up on the podcast, mm-hmm. so definitely stay tuned. That's right.
0: All right, everybody. Until next time. Thank you. Bye. Thanks.